You are listening to the Balkan Bread Podcast. This is a podcast created to connect to Yaspora worldwide by sharing each other's stories. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Balkan Bread Podcast. My name's Amina, and thank you guys so much for being here. So today's episode is really exciting. We have another guest on the show today, and I've found that this podcast has been very helpful for talking about different uh, vulnerable issues and events and things that are going on in our communities, as well as, you know, different historical events and kind of tying that into the present and what we can learn from, you know, things that have already happened. Because even though a lot of us that are listening to this didn't have to go through, you know, such tragedies during the war. Of course, there are people who, um, you know, did. But in terms of the younger generation, we didn't have to deal with it for the most part, um, you know. And so for us, it's kind of like we're very interested in learning more about it and kind of learning about what people went through, but also how we can move forward because, you know, we're the ones who have this power to create change and, you know, really to kind of change the perception of different things that have gone on. So anyway, that's the whole kind of my uh, summary of that. But our guest today is actually from the Remembering Srebrenica British Charity. So very exciting. I'm super excited to have Amra Mjukanovic here. And she works as the events manager with this charity. So she is working there full time and basically bringing this awareness from this tragic event, but also focusing on, you know, awareness, but also what can we do to educate people who, you know, aren't necessarily from the Balkans who would already have kind of prior knowledge of this event. So some of the things that they do, um, they bring communities together to remember Srebrenica through organizing commemoration events in the UK, as well as taking people on a lesson from Srebrenica education visits and creating community champions who pledge to stand up to hatred and intolerance in their communities. So she's going to talk a little bit more about their theme for this year. There's kind of a different theme each year that they focus on as well as give us some more information on events and even if we aren't um, in the UK what are some things that we can do to basically remember this but also to bring awareness to other people so I'm going to hand it over to Amra and she is going to kind of give us some more information on everything so the floor is yours. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, I think you covered a lot of what we do as a charity anyway but um, what has been amazing in these last six years is being able to bring so much awareness not just to to Srebrenica but uh, to Bosnia as a whole um, because we use Srebrenica as the way into the history and show that it was only the final act of the the war of aggression in Bosnia Um, and this year like you said our our theme is uh, bridging the divide confronting hate so we're trying to bridge communities through various different means um, especially with events to showcase that we can come together and we can bridge the divide um, especially when it comes to acts of hatred that we're seeing across the world every single day and it's our job uh, as people as citizens and as communities to make sure that we actually stand up for these things because ultimately that was what led to events such as, as Srebrenica taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, you covered that we have a sort of three aims, which is to remember, to learn and to pledge. And throughout our six years of work, um, we've managed to bring over 200,000 people together through educational activities. Um, we've held over 6,000 memorial events in the UK um, 90,000 young people have been educated on, on Srebrenica and various different stories of, of Bosnia and we've also had I believe I got an update the other day 1,300 people visit Bosnia mm-hmm. um, and visit uh, the country itself to, to learn firsthand and then their job is to come back and spread more awareness and what we plan to do is basically make sure that 
not only are these commemorations held, but it becomes a more normalised thing within our society that it's okay to commemorate things that we don't normally commemorate. Um, and I think especially when you have it in the sense that so many innocent people were killed, then there's an even greater need for it, especially those that are victims of characteristics that they have no control over uh, per se. So faith was used as as an instrument in this case, but it could be for, for any other uh, characteristic that people have. Um one of the things that we do is we encourage people to hold events throughout the UK um, and soon enough we, we plan to spread this all on an international scale. Um, so we encourage people to organise uh, what we call a Srebrenica Memorial Day event. This can be anything as small as a minute silence um, to as big as a whole community event with hundreds of people attending. Um, we also encourage schools to, to do special uh, assemblies and workshops um, during Memorial Week, which this year runs from the 7th to the 14th of July. Um, we also encourage people to hold faith activities. So people that already have services such as Juma prayers or Sunday services or Shabbat services, we have especially pre-made packs that can just basically be slotted in uh, alongside services that are pre-planned. Um, and essentially we just try and raise as much awareness as possible, especially within that week, um, but also throughout the year, so that people know what happened in Bosnia. And I'm sure you you can relate to this, but having someone know where Bosnia is, is, is quite a remarkable thing, let alone knowing what actually happened in the country in the 90s. Exactly. I, like you said, you know, most people, at least, I don't know, it's probably not as bad in the UK, I would hope, because it's closer <laughs> to Bosnia. Oh, no, but we, we have it just as bad. I've, I've been really. asked if, if Bosnia is in Asia or Africa. Or... Uh, yeah, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> it's definitely a thing. <laughs> and I was also curious, because I know in my classes in school, um, throughout middle school and high school, the only time they ever really mentioned it was because of World War One, and that was kind of it. They didn't yep. really even go into just the whole, um, you know, genocide and war and things like that. And then I remember the very first college class that I took, and it was a geography class. And I got in the class, and we got our syllabus, and we're looking over, you know, what we're going to be doing and stuff. And so I was shocked because there was an entire unit just on the Balkans and just like former Yugoslavia. And I was like, is wow. this real? Is this, is this really a thing? Because to have an entire thing about it. So it was like the third unit, I think. Um, so we didn't get into it until probably the end of the semester. And I remember I was so like excited because my professor, I mean, he was American. So I was really interested to see how he would, you know, present that topic and like, it's so complicated you know even people who are from over there we don't we are still trying to kind of understand it and understand exactly what happened in terms yeah. of with all the different groups and stuff so I was really interested how he was going to kind of put it out there for us but he did a really good job with it and I think part of it was because he had mentioned um he had taught at other universities and I think one of them so he taught at Georgia State and then there's Georgia Gwinnett College here which both of those have a really heavy like Bosnian population. So I think he had a lot oh, of Bosnian wow. students. And I don't know if that really made him like put it in his curriculum or what, but it was something that he's like, you know, this is so important. We have to talk about it. Not everyone knows about it and stuff. And so it for me, it was really cool to be just in this big like lecture class with, you know, over like 200 people. And now they're learning like about Bosnia and where it is and just, you know, everything that had happened. So I was completely shocked that that was a thing, but I didn't have that up until I got to college. And probably if I hadn't signed up for that class, I don't think any of my classes would have talked about it. So I think, I don't know how the education um, system is in the UK, like if it's set up to have a certain unit that talks about Bosnia or um, if there's anything that's like mandatory or if it's something that's also just kind of skimmed over and not really talked about. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty much the same as, as in America. So we don't have anything that's set in the curriculum yet, but it is something that we are working towards. Um, so we have essentially different education packs and workshops and whatnot that 
have been put together by um, previous educations managers and we're working with different unions uh, and people to essentially have it as part of the curriculum um, because it's so relevant to, to so many different things. Um, and because it's such a recent part of, of our history um, and because obviously the, the UK falls into to Europe, as does Bosnia. Mm, yeah. So it's got that very close connection to it. Um, but over the years, another way that we've worked around it is we've sent, for example, teachers um, to Bosnia. We've also sent young people. Um, and one of the sort of key prominent programmes we've done for them is something called um, FLES, which is Future Leaders in Schools. So what these kids do is they go out, they experience it firsthand and they come back and educate their peers and, and educate other people about it. Um, and there's there's a bunch of, of young people that are, are the most prominent, which is a group called Genocide 8020. Mm-hmm. And what they do, what they did was they surveyed hundreds of, of young people um, about genocide um, and asked them if they'd ever heard about a genocide or if they could ever name one. 80% of them couldn't name a single genocide. And mm-hmm. of the 20 that could, not a single one of them mentioned Trebrenica. So what they've done since then is incredible. They have conducted and presented um, research into genocide education. Um, They've written a genocide textbook called Genocide No More. They've lobbied MPs for reforms to genocide education and they've worked with, I believe, over 10 schools to help commemorate uh, Srebrenica and they spoke at our national commemoration last year. Now, these kids are are young. I think they're between like 15 and 17 years old. Mm -hmm. So they're not... um, what we would say as adults but what they've managed to achieve is incredible um, and that's just through giving up lunch times and staying af- after school and such but the, the impact that they've managed to make is huge. That's really awesome it's, it's really good to hear especially I mean you know they are so young and this happened like they weren't even alive probably when this happened so it's good to bring that aspect um out there and i'm looking right now on the website and just seeing like how many events and things there are and there's like one page where it just has the whole map of the uk and just all of the different events and locations and things that you guys have done in the past and i think this is really amazing and it's something that more people need to see and it's interesting like there's so many different stories and just videos and all of these different resources for people um it's very helpful and i guess i was wondering um because you know obviously it is an event so you're planning this the entire year or what's the process like for i guess um setting up all of these different um events for that particular day but then again also the other i guess educational aspects and things surrounding it um so it's it's essentially nuts. <laughs> yeah. Um the majority the majority of our events take place within a week. Okay. Um so that's what we call Srebrenica Memorial Week, um, which this mm-hmm. year runs from the seventh till the fourteenth of July. Right. And we always have this whole week uh around the eleventh of July, which is International Srebrenica Memorial Day. Um and we do this to raise as much awareness as possible. Um so we don't ourselves literally plan every single event, right. but we do support as many of them uh, as we can. Um and these span across the country and uh, across so many different axes. Um the charity itself is responsible for making sure that the national commemorations take place. So I organise the the UK's national commemoration, which is held in London every year um, and this is attended by hundreds of people, uh, various different dignitaries, survivors um, and just general community champions as well. So it is a real mixture of people. Um, As for the rest of the UK, we have managed to create partnerships over the years and worked with a number of our community champions to facilitate a thousand events, which again is our, our target and plan for this year. And this is various different organisations such as obviously education, councils, libraries, police forces, prisons, women's organisations, faith and interfaith. It's an endless list of possibilities because everyone can connect to it because Srebrenica highlights various different forms of hate crime, which is so evident, especially in today's day and age. And it also teaches us about what we have to do as a community to make sure that it doesn't happen again. 
um, but at the forefront of everything is the act of remembrance to to showcase that these people aren't forgotten about, that mm-hmm. Bosnia as an, an entirety isn't forgotten about, and they're just as important as any other genocide or any other commemoration that we have within our societies and countries. Yeah, that that's a lot of planning. And I think the bulk of it, too, is just, you know, encouraging people to organize their own events and giving them all of the resources that they could possibly need um, to hold something like that. And I'm really trying to think now, the one that I've seen, I always see this all the time. Um, I think they have it every, they do it every summer. I think it's in Kentucky because they have a, a very large um, population from Srebrenica. So they always have a remembrance walk. And that's something they constantly do. I'm sure they do things in other states too. I just haven't maybe seen them or or is aware of them um so i think it's great that you guys give you know these resources and it's basically like anyone can participate it doesn't really matter um where you are is that correct exactly so we're we're target age for events within the uk um but we also have events taking place in, internationally so i know um for example we have someone that organizes events in cape town in south africa um, which we also give support to and send resources to. So we just because we're, we're targeted does not mean that we limit ourselves mm-hmm. to just being UK. Um, and when it comes to other people, we've had uh, people contact us from Australia and America and all across the world because, as, as you know, our diaspora is everywhere. Exactly. Um, and like I said, this isn't just Srebrenica, this is the whole of Bosnia. So we cover stories from, from everywhere, from Prijedor, Foča, mm-hmm. Mostar, Bočko. Any, any city, we, we always try and encourage people to essentially share their stories and share their testimonies because something that's evident today is people trying to change the narrative. And all we have to do is just look at the commission that's been sent up um, by Republika Srpska to try and deny what happened in Srebrenica, even though it's been found to be genocide mm-hmm. by two international courts. So we always encourage um, survivors especially to come forward. And if they don't want to, to share their names, they're welcome to, to give their stories anonymously. But it just means that we're setting the narrative. We're making sure that people's stories are recorded and the truth has been recorded. And that is the most powerful thing that can be used because when we when we talk to our volunteers and, and people that plan all these events, the reason they do it is because they're always moved by the survivor's stories. So be it after having spoken to people that have survived siege of Sarajevo or listening to a, a concentration camp um, survivor from Priador or speaking to the mothers of Srebrenica, these are, are the things that motivate them to commemorate and to make sure that this story isn't forgotten about. I love that because especially when, you know, I mean, not all of us are going to, you know, be here at the end of the day. So it is important to get that testimony from those people. And then going back to, I guess, how you were mentioning, you know, obviously people try to deny that this even happened, even though there is clear evidence that, you know, this did happen. And I guess I was kind of curious, um, have you guys faced any like challenges or obstacles in terms of like people who are maybe against what you're doing and trying to, I guess, I don't know, shut it down or yeah, basically just against it in general. And like, how do you guys deal with that? Definitely. Um, so as, as you can imagine, it's, it's not something that is widely respected by, by all groups of people. Um, but for us, our our aim and our vision is to create a society free from hatred so this is just one of those challenges that we face and we always tackle head-on um but we're we're grateful that we managed to work with such a wide range of people from all backgrounds um Mm -hmm. not just in the balkans but within the uk and internationally so we have support from so many various people across the world and because of that, we have more of a stance and more of a standing. Um, we are the only organisation of its kind in the whole entire world, other than within Bosnia, that do this kind of work. So when it comes to various events and people needing information, they, they tend to pretty much always come to us first. Mm. So we've managed to establish that sort of stance that this is who we are as an organisation and this is what we do. And we have support from so many different people that it means that when it comes to to different issues, we have that backing and we have that support should we need it for for any reason. 
Um, thankfully, it's, it's not been tax, but we're, we're always prepared for the worst. Um, but anything that we do, we always try and make sure that it's always done with the best intentions and it's, it's done to a way that is always going to respect the victims and the survivors because at the, that is at the forefront of our work um, in its entirety. Obviously, we've got, for example, with our social media, we'll always have people making snide or or horrendous comments but mm-hmm. we go through the process and make sure that we report it because that's right. an, another important thing is making sure that these acts are reported so that it can be dealt with in, in the correct way by various different governments or, or police forces and um, social media forces and such so yeah so it's 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 not been easy all the time but thankfully we're we're so motivated that we almost don't see it mm-hmm. Um, and and like I say, we we have our goal, we have our vision, and that's what we stick to. And when when we when we're in the midst of Memorial Week, we're just so uplifted to see how many people are are doing this. And these events are all pretty much planned voluntarily, um, other than what the charity does itself. They're all done by volunteers that gave up their time to do so, um, which is just incredible. And and hearing people share so much joy about being able to hold an event and, and tell you so many different pieces of information about Bosnia that you yourself didn't even know even as a Bosnia even as someone that works for for a genocide charity it's, it's incredible it's uplifting um and going back to the point that was made earlier like this isn't part of the curriculum but then you have young children that are so moved by the stories of Srebrenica and are so dumbfounded by the fact that it's not part of the curriculum um it's 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 one of those things that is such a, a light to this world. It is, it is, and I mean, hopefully one day they'll eventually, you know, implement it into their education. I mean, I would think so after seeing all of the different events and, like you said, all the different support and backing that you guys are getting from people is absolutely insane. Like, I'm just looking at a list of different events that have been held like over the years and all of these different schools in different parts of the UK is is incredible um and I hate to even ask that like talking about just um like backlash and people who are I guess I don't know against it but then again it's like who's really going to come at you you would have to be so crazy to really like hate on something like this because it's (laughs) I mean of course there are people out there who are gonna have their opinions and stuff but it's just I mean I just I just I personally don't understand of course it's hard for me to say like give my opinion because I didn't go through the war I didn't experience you know all of these different like tragedies and things but I mean there's evidence and there's proof and at the end of the day that's you know what you need to kind of move forward so um this whole thing exactly yeah this whole thing honestly is just one of those things that I mean it's kind of a mess I mean the country is a little bit of a mess we all kind of know that but at the end of the day it's great to have something like this to go back to and be like hey we know this awful thing happened but at the same time we really want more people to know about it and more people to care about it and so for us we already have this obligation to kind of care because I mean that's where we come from even if you know I don't have any relatives that might be from Srebrenica but still you know this is like I'm trying to think of an event in the U.S. that we can (laughs) that I could relate this to um but you know it's something that of course you're going to care you know that's your motherland in your country and then of course it's something that is so tragic um that unfortunately happens so it's great for other people to share kind of that same not so much excitement but just like they really do care and they see how awful this was and they really want to obviously we we want to prevent this from happening um again and you know it doesn't even matter what part of the world really anywhere because this is a case of you know humankind it doesn't really matter where you're from what you look like any of that stuff um at the end of the day it still you know did happen um and also just talking about on a larger scale going back to unfortunate events that have happened so you know what's happened in New Zealand and Sri Lanka and things like that so kind of I guess could you explain more of um, how the work that you're doing can help other parts of the world that are also seeing you know these different attacks based on I mean a lot of the ones we've seen are based on religion but also just different you know things that are going on yeah of course um so 
some people might have known this, um, other people might not have. But during the live streaming video of the Christchurch um, attack, um, there's a song that is being played that glorifies um, the Serbian war criminal Radovan Karicic. And that is just one of, um, it, it's basically become a key part of white supremacy uh, in order to help facilitate the sort of dehumanisation of, of others. Um, and unfortunately, it's led to events such as, as Christchurch taking place. But what we've managed to do is basically showcase that it's important that any war criminal is, is um, highlighted to to not be a war hero, that they shouldn't be celebrated, that they should be condemned for, for their actions. And this is something that we continuously do. Um, but for for us, this was a real shock, um, given the fact that it was someone that wasn't necessarily related to, to the region that had, right. from our research, had just basically gone on a, vision, uh, on a visit to, to the Balkans um, and had learned about this this group of people and, and basically had taken it as a means to commit the most horrific of hate crimes against an innocent group of people. Um, and then a few weeks later, we had the attacks in, in Sri Lanka that were basically done on the same means, but in a complete opposite way. And then I believe a few few weeks later, we had um, a, a synagogue that was attacked in America. Yeah. So what it just goes to show is the fact that we, we need this help and understanding of, of the world so much more than, than ever. The fact that these these crimes of, of hate are being committed left, right and centre, but we need to make sure that we stand up against them. And that we have conversations with people and we make sure that there's an understanding of right and wrong, in essence. Um, making sure that people don't get mixed stories, for example, about uh, and war, war criminals that are being celebrated as war heroes when in fact they shouldn't be. They should be condemned as they have been by an international court and they shouldn't be celebrated for that fact. Um, and then looking towards survivors who are actually heroes people that have for example dr Elias pilev that was in Srebrenica and was literally conducting surgeries without any anesthetics on people with wounds with barely any materials or the mothers in Srebrenica or um bakira hasecic who have collected evidence that has been put forward to to the hague um various different activists from across bosnia that have done incredible work without really any support from, from the government um, and doing this whilst trying to find the remains of their loved ones and having to deal with propaganda and abuse over over the past over two decades. And it's important that we make sure that we change the narrative in essence and we focus on the survivors and the victims because at the end of the day, their story is what is important. Um, of course, we need to... to showcase exactly why it happened and how it happened but kind of going back onto the point you said earlier even if you didn't survive Bosnia if you weren't part of a war it doesn't mean that your suffering is any less than anyone else's it's been known that there's a, a thing called transgenerational trauma so even if you are the next generation or the generation after you are more prominent to uh, things like PTSD because of what your family went through and they normally say that the third generation is the most effective, uh, affected and the reason for this is because you are so passionate about making sure that your family's narrative is in its truest form whilst being attacked by so many different people and you don't have necessarily the survivors or the victims there to stand up for themselves and be able to give that um, first perspective um so it's then our duty as the next generation to make sure that we establish this as much as possible so that we avoid this trauma being passed on to future generations so that people know exactly what happened and can't question it and can't form commissions like we see today exactly exactly no that's that's a really good point to make too um you know talking about how it is important to you as well even though you didn't go through it and things like that i'm just reading um so you were talking about how you feature so many different stories on the website so not just really from Srebrenica, but just from bosnia in general and as a whole and i just happened to click on this one um Fadila Kapic, and she was 
from so she was actually from Stolats it looks like of course I would click on this one <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't realize and so I was reading it and so how she was helping um basically her father had been an activist um during World War II and so she kind of followed in his footsteps and she basically hid her Serbian neighbors um from the Croatian army which is really interesting I'm just kind of reading this now real quick um but <laughs> this is crazy I mean is there one story in particular that kind of resonates with you the most um I think I think for me the reason why I got involved with this sort of stuff is my parents story um so my family originates from Kozarace in Priedor and between my parents my dad survived three concentration camps and my mom survived one concentration camp so it's it's one of those ones that it was so close to home that mm. it was almost normalized. Um, and growing up, I couldn't quite understand why people were always shocked when I said this without with, with essentially like a straight face. Yeah. Um, so I think that that in essence, I, I very quickly realized that it wasn't normal. Mm. Um, and I remember just like a few things throughout life that kind of just made me more aware. So I remember at one point I was sitting in an English exam and uh, one of the passages we had to analyse was from a book called Zlata's Diary. Yeah, I've read it. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and sixth <I> just, grade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just remember like sitting in this exam. I was so happy that there was something about Bosnia, completely forgetting about the part so that it, this was an English exam. Um, and I was being timed. But it was, it, it, at the same time, it was bittersweet because I thought, is, is this what we've come to? Have we just been... Uh, are we just this part of history that is only there to be analysed? Yeah. Um, and another thing was like when, as I'm sure that you guys have in America, there's certain dates where we'll commemorate different things mm -hmm. um, and people would hold a minute silence. And I remember just thinking as, as back in, a few years ago, it's just, are we not worthy enough to have someone's minute silence? Is, is uh, that yeah. the place that we're at? Are we not worthy to, to be remembered just for, for one day? And and that was just not even just like the 11th of July, any day. So mm -hmm. uh, from Priyada, we also have something called White Armband Day, right. which is on the 31st of May. But there's so many different events and, and commemorations. Um, for example, the other day, it was the anniversary of the Tuzlakapia bombing, where you had 71 young people killed. Um, there's there's so many things throughout the years and it's important to remember every single one of them because especially if they've got victims, these are people, these were someone's loved ones, these are people that could have had a life but it was stopped short because of so many different reasons. And I think for that, my, my parents are my absolute inspiration with what they've gone through and being deported to another country, being separated from the rest of their family and having to start again and raising myself and my sisters to not hate, which is also mm -hmm. a huge thing, is that sense of the I'm not I don't judge other people based on their backgrounds. I only judge them based on whether or not they're a good or bad person. Um, which is something that is quite remarkable given everything that they have survived and everything that they've seen firsthand. Um, but any any survivor that I come across, any story that I hear, I just feel connected to. I just feel like I am part of their story. I feel that I have lived what they have lived because of that connection, because I can connect the dots. And I think that is, in essence, what has motivated me over the years to essentially be an activist and, and do this job and make sure that every story is told as loudly as possible. Absolutely. And that's honestly, I think the motivation with m most of us diaspora is just what our parents went through. And like you were talking about how <laughs> when you were sharing your story with people and talking about what your parents went through and like saying it with a straight face. And it's it's funny because I think a lot of us are like that. We're so open because it's something that you know, we're aware of and we don't really, I mean, most of us don't have a problem talking about it as much. Um, but it's funny when you say, oh, yeah, you know, my most of the men in my family were in a concentration camp at some point and people just kind of look at you like, oh, are you talking about <laughs> the Holocaust or what's going on here? And you're like, no, 
that's not it. Um, so. Exactly. It's it's the the fortunate thing is it's just essentially become normalised within our society. Is is that sense? So I tell people, it's like I I was raised on on genocide and mass killings and concentration camps and mass rapes and all this sort of stuff. Like for me, this is normal. Um, so when people ask me how I can talk about it or how I'm not as affected by it, I, I just say to them, it's, it's, it's yeah. basically these were our bedtime stories, is how I say it. Mm. Um, it's, it's one of those really normal aspects of life within our communities, especially the generation that was born very soon after the war. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I would like to change so that... As I'm sure you're aware, it kind of affects us in a, in a very weird way. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. It does. Or just other things that are normal for us in terms of for all the diaspora in the U.S. at least. It's like when you tell, you know, your friend or your coworker or whoever, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going home, but it's going to take me like 24 hours to get there. And they look at you like, what are you talking about? You can't get a <laughs> direct flight or you can't. And I'm like, no, like two stops at the minimum. <laughs> you know, that's just how it exactly. but it's something that is so normal for us um, and things like that. I don't know how this will maybe relate to the charity and the work that you guys do, but going back to um, the whole PTSD thing, I was going to have, um, I'm still getting it together, but for another episode, and it might honestly be up by the time I'm even talking about this, because this will be posted um, later on. But in terms of like PTSD and just our, um, you know, diaspora population and things like that I don't know a whole lot about it but I honestly think that most people do have like some kind of form of it but it's something that isn't really talked about at all and so do you guys have any I guess experience like have people come up to you and like when they're sharing their story like talk about that or you know are there any I don't know different resources or kind of things that are being done to like not only you know bring awareness and stuff but also you know to help people who have experienced those you know kinds of events so the people that are sharing their stories. Yeah so we don't have anything official in place but we do have some amazing partners that we kind of work with um, and also some volunteers that are therapists within this field so it's it's one of those things that we can also um help and sort of direct people um it is something that we look to basically be able to establish in the near future because everyone needs that support um at various different levels and degrees and i think especially within our society because it's such a taboo subject Mm -hmm. it's it's one of those ones that it really needs to be addressed um because what what you find is especially now what with what i've seen with the number of survivors those that have kind of closed up and held it in for so long are now almost at their breaking point unfortunately um or they're they're getting to the point where they just don't know how to deal with it anymore because as as you probably are aware within our society it's essentially just get on with it mm-hmm. um you have these people that have survived so much that have seen so much and yet when when they needed the most help they weren't given anything they were just basically told or they decided to ignore what what they'd seen and, and witnessed and and got on with life and this is passed on to, to different children um, through various means uh, it can be like in vitro whilst you're in the womb or it can be by the way that you're brought up um, yeah. because we do things differently um, so it's it's one of those ones that it is needed so much but it's also making sure that there is a safe space so that people feel like they can they can come and they can open up and we support survivors as, as much as we, we can. We're, we're a small team of about, I think it's like five or six people um, mm-hmm. at the core team. Um, so our, our work is, is spreading across all things, but survivors are always our priority. We've got connections to organisations within Bosnia that work with survivors through various means, such as holistic approaches or therapy sessions. Um, and we can always, we can always connect um it's not something that we can help deliver straight away but if nothing else we can be that person that that just lends an ear that is happy to sit and and listen and talk um and I think that in itself is is the most important thing I think a lot of people will feel a release the first time that they can they can speak about it but also feel the value that they're actually listened to because I think that's a fear for a lot of survivors is that 
when they, they share their story for the first time, the reason why they haven't shared it is because of this fear that no one cares or the fact that it's it's such a normal thing within the diaspora that they're so dumbfounded that when they when they share it with people from like the UK or America or anywhere internationally, how surprised and how dumbfounded they are when they hear these testimonies firsthand and how in awe they are of them. And I think that first time when someone shares their story is one of the key turning points for a lot of people. Um, and it's also a form of therapy. Um, I'm not saying that it works for everyone, but the people that we have worked with and the people that have shared their stories, it has led them to, to go on to such greater things because they've turned such a negative thing into such a positive thing. And with, with the survivors we've worked with, we've we've managed to organise for a number of them to get doctorates or speak at conferences, um, share their testimonies within uh, 10 Downing Street, which is our key political building, share a number of events like our national commemoration, um, speak with uh, His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales. Um, we've facilitated so many opportunities for them because they've managed to overcome that that hurdle um, that unfortunately was set not not because of them or what they decided, but because of what other people had done to them. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a, such a hard thing to talk about too. So I know that it takes a lot just for someone to you know go out there and say these things and know that you know trust that their story is going to be shared. Um, you know, and a not positive light, but just in kind of inform informative, I guess. Um, and, you know, nothing is going to be changed. But at the same time, by sharing it, it can also be very therapeutic to them, which is important because it's like, okay, you're collecting all these different resources and things. But at the same time, you want those people to get something out of it. And you don't want them to, I mean, yes, they were a victim to things, but you want them to, after sharing their story, not to feel like, to have them feel a little more empowered, I guess you could say, from just putting it out there and, you know, knowing that people do care about it and people do want to hear about it because, you know, if they're not the ones that are going to go on here and, you know, say what actually happened to them, then no one will. And then we won't have anything to really, you know, Work exactly from and we won't be able to relate to each other and you know because a lot of times someone's story could be so similar to yours and it's like if you hadn't actually you know read it or if it, they hadn't gone through this whole thing to get it published you would have never known you would have never maybe even like eventually met that person or you know just to get together and like talk about it on your own and you know make all these different connections and things um, which is really important so um definitely yeah. and yeah. sharing stories is such a powerful thing not just because of well that aspect but it can also connect the dots for a lot of people um especially if you're from the same area or you survived the mm -hmm. same thing someone being able to to let you know for example the unfortunate thing with our situation is being able to to tell you how someone was killed or if they were killed right and for a lot of people that have someone missing in their lives having that closure um, or having a piece of the story uh, or another piece of a jigsaw mm -hmm. makes the world of difference and you never know if you are that jigsaw piece if, if, if you're going to change someone's life uh, because of that or if you have information that could help and benefit someone else um, and what I found over the years is my 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 mum my mom speaks but my dad doesn't Yeah. Um, and what I've also found is I share my parents' story on their behalf and I do it with, with their full acknowledgement and support. Mm -hmm. But I've also found that since doing that over the past couple of years, my, my dad has opened up. Um, yeah. Whereas beforehand, he would never speak about it. Anytime that the war concentration camps were, broken, uh, were brought up, he, he would just go silent. Um, whereas now we can have more conversations and it's, it's a bittersweet moment because... Mm -hmm. He, he makes these dark jokes as, as we Bosnians always do um, and you're just so grateful that he's sharing this this part of him but so sad at the same time because you're just bearing witness to, to what was yeah. the darkest period of his life um, but I think yeah I think it's one of these things that we need to support each other better um, I think especially when anyone has the courage to, to give their testimony 
and to share their stories. What I find at times is that the diaspora is the first to try and put them down, mm. um, which is a, which is something that we need to tackle and change. And what we need to do, in fact, is support them and commend them for being so brave to do so in the first place. And I think that is where we have to change the society. It's, it's identifying our mistakes and our downfalls um, because the rest of the world are, are so eager to get these stories um, into their hands or to be able to hear or, or bear witness to, to these survivors. And I think we, again, going back to that sort of mindset of ours, is we don't think it's important enough or mm-hmm. we don't value our stories as much as others do. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like you're saying, some people are obviously going to have a harder time opening up than others, and that's okay. And some people, I think it's good if they eventually come to the point, like you were saying with your dad, to where they're at least willing to share, you know, something. It doesn't have to be a full-blown kind of, you know, story from, you know, the first day to the last day of leaving kind of thing, but at least to share something because then it's, it's like, oh, okay, you're acknowledging, you know, what happened. Not to say that they were trying to maybe ignore it, but they were probably trying to kind of internalize it, I guess you could say. And, you know, they didn't want to bother anyone with it. And kind of maybe they almost felt like they were a burden to someone just by, like, sharing that. So um, I, I agree with you completely with, you know, it's kind of our responsibility now. Like, it's not really a written responsibility, but it's kind of this obligation that we all have to where we want to create this safe place for people um, to share their stories, um, never to force someone to share something, but to, yeah, just create the safe place for them to do so and not kind of come at them with, you know, opinions or, oh, no, you know, that's not what happened or all these kinds of things. So I think definitely. Is there anything else that you want to add or anything that you think our listeners should know just about, you know, either your story or um, the charity, the different events uh, before we wrap up the episode? Um, I think I, I think what I want to say is just start off with and just saying thank you um, to the the support that we've had from the diaspora. Um, and these are people from across the world, including from America, is having your support is incredible um i myself am the only bosnia that works at this organization um, other than our coordinator in bosnia so these these are people that have no connection to bosnia that are working for a charity and they give up so many different hours of their life in order to make sure that this is happening and this is a success um and the most prominent is is our chairman dr waka razmi he is an incredible man that has been through a lot um, to try and get this established in the first place and, and still does so much. Yeah. And I think that anyone that can show support and, and send little grateful messages, it means so much to them. Um, I, I, I know it from, from my own personal side, um, being around different Bosnians and just kind of seeing it on their faces and, and speaking mm. to them. But I think for them, it's, it's that little extra motivation, especially as, as we're going in the lead up to Memorial Week. Um, so the hours are definitely very long and tedious and hard, but it makes it so worthwhile when we see how much of an effect we have on other people, um, especially the Bosnian community. And if if anyone does want to get in touch, they are very welcome to do so. Um, they're welcome to get in touch just to see what we're doing, ask about new projects, or even if they want to share their stories. Uh, and like I say, you can do it anonymously or you can do it as a piece. Um, it, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You, you're welcome and you're welcome to share your stories um, or share stories of, of your loved ones, uh, wherever they are from in Bosnia. And yeah, I think for us, it, it's that case of we're in, we're in the process of getting memorial events in place. Um, and like I say to a lot of people, if, if there's nothing else you can do, you can always organise a minute silence in your place of work or in your school. It doesn't take mm-hmm. very much effort at all, but it's it's a minute of your life that you're dedicating to other people. And especially if you're from the region, when you know that people are commemorating you for that one minute, your heart is full. Um, and it can be that one thing to, to change so many people's understanding and kind of... Uh, entice their curiosity to find out more 
Um, of course, if people want to organise something larger and greater, then by all means, please do so. We we need to share the message of, of Bosnia and Srebrenica. Um, but if if people do plan to do anything, do do let the charity know because we can obviously still still post about it. We can still share it, even though we're just targeted for the UK. But for us, we 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 see ourselves as an international cause, not just a, a British cause. Exactly. No, that's that's a really good kind of sum up of everything that you guys do. And like you were saying, it doesn't take a lot to make an impact and make a difference. And I think the work that you're doing, just sharing people's stories is so powerful. And it's also probably, especially for you, just one of the most, I think, probably rewarding jobs and experiences um, that you can have because you really can tell that you're you can really see the impact that you're having you know on people's lives because there's a lot of jobs where it's like you don't really get to see that so I think it's great that um, you're able to have that kind of follow you around in your um, profession and things like that well thank you so much Amra um, really enjoyed having you and I'm glad we got to just talk about this and have this kind of I don't know if I would say it's a difficult conversation but definitely something um that needs to be talked about no thank you thank you thank you for expressing an interest and allowing us to to share our work it's what we're passionate about it's what I'm definitely passionate about but I think not enough people know about what we do especially within the diaspora and I think this this is a great way to do it especially with other people from from Bosnia it's, it's always that sort of little connection which I love Absolutely. It's really important. It really is. Um, So I will have all of the links to the organization in the description for this podcast episode. But if you are listening and you happen to be on your phone, you can go to srebrenica.org.uk and all of the resources are there. There's tons of stories all of the events that we were talking about, um, you know, if you need to get materials for your event and register it, there is a contact form to do that as well. And yeah, all of that good stuff. But with that being said, thank you guys again for listening. And if you are interested in being featured on an upcoming podcast episode, or you just have an idea for something that we should talk about, definitely send an email to us. Um, It's hello at balkanbread.com and use the word podcast in the subject line. So thank you guys again for listening and we will see you next week. Bye guys.